The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its creators, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss a missing persons case on this podcast, please be sure to visit missingpersonspodcast.net. This episode may contain unsettling or disturbing subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Missing Persons, a podcast dedicated to spreading the word about people who have vanished under mysterious or unexplained circumstances and the family members who are looking for answers. I'm Jess Betancourt. And I'm Mike Morford. Together, we created this podcast to help give a voice to people who continue to look for their missing loved ones. In some cases, even after decades have gone by. In each episode, you'll hear from Jess giving listeners the backstory and the basic facts of the disappearance. Then Mike will speak with someone who's intimately connected to the missing person, and his guest will share their story with us. Please stay tuned at the conclusion of this episode to hear about our Patreon program and our commitment to help find people who have gone missing. We'll also share with you where you can find more information and how you can join our team and help our efforts. You'll get recommendations for other podcasts we think you'll enjoy, and more. So sit back and enjoy this episode, and who knows, maybe you can help us find someone who's missing. Episode 8, Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder. Mary Jane Croft was born on November 19, 1911, in Montana, West Virginia. She was the fourth child of eight, born to John and Anna Croft, who lived in the small town of Montana in the northern part of the state near the Pennsylvania border. Not much is known about Mary Jane's early life. But as was typical at the time, Mary Jane married young. On January 29, 1929, she married James Wesley Van Gilder when she was just 17 years old. The couple went on to have several children, including a set of twins that tragically was stillborn. Two years after the birth of the couple's youngest child, Cheryl Gay Van Gilder, Mary Jane abruptly left the Van Gilder family farm in Montana and moved into the town of Fairmont. According to the Charlie Project, Mary Jane alleged that her husband was abusive, and relatives report that James was an alcoholic. So in 1943, Mary Jane rented an apartment above the old Fairmont Theater, leaving her husband and five children behind. Mary Jane's oldest daughter, Anna May Van Gilder Rager, who is our guest today, told a local newspaper in February of this year that she was just a little kid when her mom left, so she isn't sure what exactly happened in her parents' marriage or what kind of work her mom was doing in Fairmont. James supported the family Mary Jane left behind thanks to his job at President Roosevelt's Works Progress Administration. It's not clear exactly how long Mary Jane lived in Fairmont, but most reports agree that in late 1943 or early 1944, she moved to Plymouth, Ohio. Initially, she lived at a rooming house and at a house on Truck Street, but eventually settled seven miles away in a house on Woodland Avenue in Willard. On March 7, 1944, Mary Jane started working at the Army Air Force Supply Depot in Shelby, driving a forklift. This was during World War II, and Mary Jane began purchasing war bonds. These were debt securities issued by the U.S. government to finance its wartime operations. The public bought the bonds at a significant discount off their face value and then redeemed them at maturity for the full face value. 
Essentially, the bonds functioned as a mechanism whereby the government borrowed money from the public, who purchased the bonds as much out of patriotism as economic interest. Anyway, Mary Jane purchased war bonds at the People's Bank and sent them home to her 14-year-old daughter Anna to share with her siblings. Mary Jane wrote a lot of letters to her children and also on occasion sent items of clothing home to her family in West Virginia. But then, in 1945, Mary Jane wrote and asked for the war bonds to be returned to her. Anna later discovered that her mother then cashed in the bonds at different branches of the People's National Bank in Plymouth, Ohio, at various dates throughout that year, 1945. Then, Anna received one last $25 war bond from her mother, but after that, the family had no communication with Mary Jane. Earlier that year, on February 12, 1945, Mary Jane initiated proceedings in Ohio to obtain a divorce from her husband James. In November that same year, James countersued for divorce in West Virginia. Mary Jane was not present for this filing. James was granted the divorce and custody of the five children. In what would be the last written piece of evidence regarding Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder, on April 4, 1946, Mary Jane's divorce petition was dismissed at her cost and request. The associated expenses were deducted from an amount that Mary Jane had left on deposit with the court. Mary Jane's brother, Lester Croft, began searching for his sister when he came home after serving in the Navy in World War II. Lester beseeched the Marion County Sheriff, James Kane, to find his sister. Sheriff Kane contacted the police chief in Plymouth, Ohio, the last known address of Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder. This was via a letter dated December 27, 1949. It described Mary Jane as being 37 years old, 5 feet 5 inches tall, and about 165 pounds with dark hair. In turn, the Plymouth police made contact with Mary Jane's last known employment, the Army Air Force Depot in Shelby. It wasn't until May 20, 1952 that Anna and the family received a response. A letter from the U.S. Air Force First Lieutenant Edwin Selzer of the Army Air Force Depot read, Mrs. Van Gilder left our employ on 8 March 1945 due to added household duties. Her address at the time of her resignation was 2 Trucks Street, Plymouth, Ohio. Prior to her residence at the above address, she resided at 311 Woodland Avenue, Willard, Ohio. The family could not imagine what these added household duties could be, and the trail of Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder seemed to go cold. The last reported sighting of her, according to the Ohio State Highway Patrol records, was by a former associate who reported seeing her in Willard, Ohio, shortly after March 1945. Anna refused to give up looking for her mother. Starting in the late 1940s and over the next 10-plus years, she wrote a series of letters to the director of the FBI himself, the esteemed J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover wrote back to Anna personally, suggesting that she get in touch with one of your local law enforcement agencies. The FBI did not have jurisdiction to investigate the case of the missing woman, although the FBI did supply the Van Gilder family with the last known address of Mary Jane in Willard, Ohio. Anna also contacted the Social Security Administration, the U.S. Treasury, the Ohio State Highway Patrol, and other authorities. But her quest came to nothing until she finally got a break in 2004. At that time, the Plymouth Journal, a newspaper in Ohio, published a story about the family's decades-long quest to find Mary Jane, and a reader contacted the family with some information. William H. King of Willard, Ohio, 
read the Plymouth Journal's article, and emailed Anna's niece, who had since joined the search for her grandmother. According to William King's letter, his father and two brothers had worked at the Army Air Force Depot in the time period 1943 to 1945. They knew Mary Jane. In fact, King said, Mary Jane was good friends with his parents. I was just 13 at the time, but I remember your grandmother very well. She had long dark hair to her shoulders and was a very cheerful person, King wrote. He remembered that Mary Jane did not have his driver's license, and she had often gotten rides to and from work with his relatives who worked at the depot. Unfortunately, King did not have any information about what had happened to Mary Jane after 1945. Her mother died in 1963, and Mary Jane did not attend the funeral. The Van Gilder family's search stalled until 2018. At that point, Mary Jane's granddaughter, Mindy Wilson, called the police chief in Shelby, Ohio, asking about her grandmother. The chief assigned the case to Officer Adam Turner, who opened a missing persons investigation into Mary Jane's case. He entered Mary Jane's personal information into the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, or NamUs, as well as the Charlie Project and the Doe Network. Officer Turner has spent countless hours trying to track down any information regarding Mary Jane. He told the Register Herald newspaper, I work on this case every day. I could spend 40 hours a week on this case. I've written tons and tons of letters to coroner's offices, police departments, newspapers and libraries asking for feedback and information. One of the tasks Officer Turner has taken on in the course of the investigation into Mary Jane's case is trying to determine whether any known Jane Doe's could be Mary Jane. In August of 2019, Officer Turner arranged for the exhumation of a Jane Doe buried in Preble County, who he felt, based on her physical characteristics, fit the description of Mary Jane. Test results on the exhumed Jane Doe are still pending at this time. James Van Gilder died in 1985, and the family home burned to the ground in the 1980s, destroying what was left of Mary Jane's things. Investigators have not even been able to determine whether she had a social security number. She remains a missing person. When she disappeared at age 33, Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder was a Caucasian female, about 5 foot 5 inches tall, and weighed about 160 pounds. She had wavy brown hair and brown eyes. She had freckles across the bridge of her nose, and she possibly had scars on her back from when she was struck by an airplane propeller while working at the depot. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder, please call Officer Adam Turner of the Shelby, Ohio Police Department at 419-347-2242. Mike Morford sat down to talk with Anna Rager, Mary Jane's daughter, for missing persons. He also spoke with Officer Turner about the case. Those conversations are coming up after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Anna, and thank you for joining me to discuss your mother, Mary Jane's case on missing persons. Your mother has been missing for 75 years. Uh, She's been missing since 1945, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that's a, a very long time. How old were you when when she went missing? Well, I was born in 1931, and 1944 was when she went to work in Ohio. Uh, She worked for uh, a company down there, and uh, she started work the 7th of March of 1944, 
and worked until March the 8th, 1945. At that time, she had sent me war bonds uh, to a company from Fairfield, Ohio. And uh, she wrote me and asked me to return those for her. In 1945, I sent them all. One re- came back after that. Um, these Bonds were cashed at various states in 1945. Uh, a lady thought they might have saw her in the uh, along the streets in Ohio after she had quit working. Uh, we have not been able to find anything about where she went from them. I have searched. I sent letters until 1945, uh, 49, and they were returned. In 1949, my uncle came out of the Marine Navy, I believe, and um, he went to the sheriff of Marion County, which is in West Virginia. And uh, Mr. Kane of Marion County started a search, and she, he sent letters to me and my dad. And uh, at that time, in 1940 or 1949, I started searching. Uh, I have searched in Ohio. I have been to J. Edgar Hoover. I have been everywhere that I can think of and anybody else can think of. Now then, uh, Adam has got it. Well, he started that about a year ago or something like that, and he's done a lot. I have a, a niece that's named Mindy and one that's named Misty, and they have been worth me. Let me ask you a question about when when your mom disappeared. Were the were the two of you close when she disappeared? I wrote to my mother from the time she disappeared until, or from the time she went to work until she disappeared. I had lots of letters from her. Uh, at one time, she sent uh, clothing. I don't remember her ever sending any money. Uh, I know she sent clothing uh, when I was still in school. And that would have been probably when I was maybe in the eighth grade. I don't remember what year it was. Really missing her, I would think, while she was gone. And then when she disappeared, you were without her all that time. I wasn't very old when she disappeared. I wrote to some girl, um, a, a friend of hers, when uh, while she was still writing to me, I left all my stuff in my press at my home when I married, and uh, when I went back to look for it, it was all gone. Who And I did not remember a lot of stuff at that time, and still don't. But uh, when I was probably 14, 15 years old when she went, and she worked in Fairmont for a while, and I visited her one time there for a few, maybe for a weekend, and from then... Uh, she just disappeared from then. The next time I heard from her was in when she was working in Ohio. When when you got a little bit older, you mentioned that you started looking for her and, and going out and trying to find out where she went, what happened to her. What kind of help did you get from police? Did they have any kind of clues to work with back then? I had no help from no one except that one letter that stated that uh, a person had saw her in the streets, I believe. I can't remember. I have to go back and look at the letter. And um, that was the only thing. I had no help from anyone 
until Adam started working on it. Uh, I had uh, searched through the computer. I had wrote lots of letters when I didn't have a computer. I worked with Ancestry. I've uh, searched a lot of Mary Jane Crofts and Mary Van Gilders and found nothing. Uh, Adam has done the same thing, and he's found nothing either that I know of. I know Misty had worked with me, and uh, she, uh, between the two of us, we found nothing. So a lot of uh, dead ends or uh, places where you couldn't find any more information about what happened. Well, I have looked, uh, Ohio has 88 counties that have um, everything in them. Now, in 1945, she filed for divorce out of Heron County, H-U-R-O-N, Heron County, Ohio. At that divorce, at that time, my dad, I guess when he got to notice, he went ahead and filed for the divorce. We heard nothing. I didn't even know about this until uh, my dad and my step had died and my half-sister sent this uh, paper to me where she had filed for the divorce. And that, well, you know, that she had filed in 45. And uh, somebody said in 46 she had dropped it, but I think it just automatically dropped when my dad got his. I know that my dad got married, I believe, in 46. I can't not remember exactly. I have to look that up. You mentioned this went on not knowing what happened to your mom for, for the majority of your life, and here you are um, almost three-quarters of a century later. You still don't have the answers, but you mentioned that Adam has taken on the case and has tried to help you with using new techniques, new technology and stuff. Um, how great for you to have him looking into it all these years later? I believe that uh, my niece, Mindy, got this started. She, uh, I guess we're all concerned. We would all like to know what happened to her. I know Adam has done all kinds of stuff, and he has a lot more knowledge than I do. And uh, though I have searched through Ancestry.com, for a lot of years, and uh, have found nothing. I found a lot of Mary Cross, but I cannot find a social security number that would help me do this. Have you tried, or has anyone in your family tried submitting their DNA into Ancestry.com? I have a DNA. Uh, Misty has one, and Misty has, Mindy has one, and uh, Mary, uh, my, uh, sister's daughter has one so we've all i mean i've put mine in and uh but i have a dna in there and i've had it for two or three years but i've found nothing i've found people that i'm related to but uh not to my mother yeah and that's the the key is hoping that somewhere along the line you'd find out that you'd find a link to your to your mom there and not seeing that it sounds like that could be cause for concern that possibly something, you know, bad happened to her back then. You don't think that she would have ever gone off and just started a new life on her own. Do you think that something, uh, that's something I have, that's something I have thought about. Uh, I know there was a name of somebody that was in those letters, but like I said, the letters disappeared and I cannot remember the name. Uh, like I said, I was, what, 14, 15? I was married when I was 16. 
So at that time, uh, I sort of didn't lose interest, but I had thought she had remarried, and we had searched my sister and I for uh, maybe she had a child. But where we searched, we did not find anything. So, and I have not been able to find where she had gotten married again or anything like that. We know she would have gotten a divorce when my dad got his. But but all of those roads have led nowhere in, in tracking down anything about her. Well, I don't know why she would have not kept in, t- in touch with us. I know her mother died in 1963, I, I believe. But uh, nobody saw her then. She was listed as uh, a family member, her and my Aunt Rose and my Uncle Johnny. My Uncle John had disappeared, too, but he was found. Due to that we had a Social Security number, we found him after he had passed away. We have not been able to find my Aunt Rose or my mother. I know it's been a very long journey, you know, over 75 years. That's a very long time to be looking for a loved one, especially someone, your mother, who I'm sure you would have loved to have had a relationship growing up with and becoming an adult. How how difficult has it been not having her in your life all these years? Well, after a while, you get uh, sort of used to it, but you still keep searching. Like I said, I, I'll lay it down for a little while, then I go back. In fact, I'm back now looking through a lot of Mary Crofts that I had been through probably five, six years ago. At, uh, and I know Adam has a list of them, but this is ones I have listed that had gotten a Social Security number in Ohio. So the ones I'm going to search now is going to be those. Well, I still have hopes. Uh, I know that uh, the girls have... Uh, Misty and Mindy, that's Barbara's children, have been, I know Misty has looked longer than Mindy has, and I know I have looked longer than any of them. I'm the oldest of the uh, of the children she had, and she had five. Do you think that she got married and started a new life and just a new identity, or do you think that maybe after she got remarried, something happened to her? Well, I that has always been my thought. Until I recently, I've kept, I've started thinking, well, what happened to her? You know, like I said, if I could have found those letters, it would have helped me. But I couldn't find them. They were gone. My dad had gotten remarried and somebody had cleaned the area out. I had to keep my stuff in. So they were gone. And I couldn't find the girl's name or address that I had wrote to. It had been too long. Even four or five years was too long. Uh, when I started looking for her, after my uncle came out of the Navy in 1949 of November, that was a long time. And now that it's been a lot of years, and it's still hard. But I'm still thinking that there'll be a Social Security number somewhere that I will find and uh, find out what happened to her. Maybe I have other relatives. I don't know. If they are, there is none of them cropped up in DNA because I have that record of that where it comes from the ancestor. How important is it to you after this much time's gone by to how how great would it be to find out just have an answer of what happened to her? 
Well, it would be a weight off of my mind. I'm now 89 years old, so um, it would be a weight off of my mind, and I'm sure that Misty and Mindy, it would be a blessing to them. I, uh, it's very important to me to find out. I have looked all these years, and that's a lot of years and a lot of, a lot of uh, time spent, but I do not think it's been a waste of time. I just think it's something I have not been able to find. And I think your situation proves that no matter how long somebody's missing, you keep searching for them because you want to know what happened to them, even if it's 75 years. Well, since 1945 was the last time I heard from her. And I, at, when I started looking for her, I had one address and one war bond. That's what I had. And I think I a long ways. And I think Adam has came a long ways. But that's what I had to start with was one address and one more bond. Well, you've you've definitely got a good team by your side, and I, I wish you luck digging and looking for clues, and hopefully you have some kind of resolution and find out what happened to your mom. Well, I hope so, too. Uh, my name's Adam Turner. I'm a police officer with the, uh, the city of Shelby in Richland County, Ohio. And I am the uh, lead investigator on the uh, 1945 disappearance of Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder. Now, Mary Jane went missing in 1945. Correct. So that's obviously quite quite a long time ago. Can you tell me how and when her case came to land in, in your lap? Well, in April of uh, 2018, um, the police department um, was contacted by um, Mary Jane's uh, granddaughter, um, who kind of said, just gave us a brief overview, said her grandmother was was missing um, from the Shelby area. She had worked in Shelby in 1945. Um, and basically she disappeared um, in February um, of that year and has not been seen or heard from since. Um, that was the first time that we, um, as a police agency, had heard uh, of this case. Um, if it was ever reported to us in, in 45 um, or in the years following, uh, we have no record of it. Um, Mary Jane at the time was working in a, uh, in a World War II ammunitions depot. Um, they made uh, munitions for the war and airplane parts, etc., and she she worked there, but she and she worked in the city of Shelby, but she lived um, in the village of Plymouth, which is in uh, Huron County. So, um, while speaking with um, Mary Jane's granddaughter, my chief uh, Lance Combs found out that they had contacted the Plymouth Police Department back around 2004, and basically told them the same thing. And um, at the time, Sergeant. Uh, Tom Heinz, he, he is now the chief of police up there, but he was a sergeant at the time, um, said that um, he would do a little research on his end, and he he tried to track her down through um, some systems available uh, to law enforcement only, but he, he really wasn't able to find uh, too much. They ran, a, they ran an article in the Plymouth paper um, in 2004 basically asking anyone um, in the public, if they knew her or knew of her whereabouts, 
and they received one <clears throat> they received one letter to them directly um and it was from a gentleman who said that he he knew Mary Jane Mary Jane actually worked with his father at um the Wilkins Army Air Force Depot in uh, Shelby and that she didn't have a car so they also lived in Plymouth and she would uh, his dad would drive her to work every day so he he remembered her he didn't remember a whole lot about her he said you know she remembered he remembered that she had dark hair and brown eyes um he said that uh, she was very nice um and his his dad and uh his older brother knew her uh, they have since obviously passed and and then once the war started to uh end um there later that year um they stopped they stopped hearing from her so he that's pretty much about all he had and that's the only person that responded to that uh 2004 newspaper article. So after uh, our chief did a little bit of uh, precursory um, investigation, he uh, he handed it to me in October of, of uh, 2018. So is there any indication in, in your work that you've done so far that anyone else reported her missing back in the mid-1940s when, when she was last seen? She was the, – the first, the first official um, – report i guess you could say it, it came it wasn't in it wasn't until 1949 um mary jane's um eldest daughter uh anna may rager had had basically been communicating with her mother anna lived in, in fairmont where uh mary fairmont west virginia where mary jane was originally from and she was communicating with her mother via uh, written letters those letters um suddenly stopped right around the time that uh, Mary Mary Jane quit her job, and Anna May thought at the time that her mother maybe had moved on uh, to a new job, um, and, and you know, in another state at another location. Um, so she didn't really uh, think too much of it because there were there was lengthy periods of time um, where Anna May had not heard from her mother. So fast forward a couple years until. Uh, 1949, and one of Mary Jane's brothers had come back um, from fighting in World War II, and started to ask, came back to Fairmont and started asking questions about the whereabouts of his sister. So, once once he came back and they started hey, realizing that you know nobody's heard from Mary Jane, um, Anna May started writing letters to uh, local law enforcement there in Fairmont. So they, the Van Gilder house, the original Van Gilder house, um, was outside of Fairmont in Marion County, West Virginia. So Anna May had written to the sheriff of Marion County, West Virginia, and asked for assistance. Um, that sheriff, in turn, um, wrote a letter to uh, the Plymouth chief of police at the time. Um, if if he got a response, we, we unfortunately do not have any record of that. And he had also wrote letters to um, the Army Air Force Depot asking for, about her whereabouts and to the Baltimore Police Department um, asking for her whereabouts because it was rumored that she she might have uh, went to the Maryland to uh, Baltimore uh, after she had uh, resigned from her position. Um, so 
Anna May kind of started this whole investigation herself, um, and she continued to follow up with it throughout the years. Um, she she corresponded multiple times with uh, the FBI, and she she had some of the letters that she had written to the FBI and some of the letters that they had uh, sent back. Um, basically, the the contents of those letters said that uh, you know the FBI was not going to get involved in a local law enforcement matter, um, but that they would maintain a, a file on on Mary Jane and, and at, have her listed as missing. So I assume that this is the oldest missing persons case that you've worked on. Is, is that correct? Yes. Uh, it's, one, it's probably one of the oldest ones in the country. Are missing person cases typically not anywhere as close to this, this age? Uh, no, um, most missing person cases um, are are actually juveniles um, who who run away from home, um, are maybe missing for you know sometimes it's hours, sometimes days, weeks, months, but it, it usually they are resolved um, relatively quickly. Now there are missing adults, and their missing adults are more prevalent than you think. Um, but those, you know, most most cases turn out um, where the missing person has been found. Maybe they just kind of cut off ties with their family, or didn't answer their phone for a while, or just didn't want to talk to anybody, and and they're usually resolved that way. But unfortunately, there are cases like this one where someone just basically drops off the face of the earth, um, and it does happen. And it's 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 not commonplace, but it. it it's there and it does exist. In in your investigation so far, is there anything to suggest that there might be foul play involved? You know, that's that's something that I definitely uh, consider. Um, you know, you you have to look at you have to look at every possible angle um, for a case like this. I mean, I I have very little um, leads, if any. So the leads that I, I generate, um, to, to do my research are, are leads that I have to basically create on my own. Um, so as far as foul play, um, you know, there's, I, it's hard to tell because I don't know exactly what her personal life was like when she was living, um, up here in Ohio. Um, we have no, no record of, of a boyfriend or, um, you know, somebody, somebody at work or somebody she was seeing or a friend. I mean, there's, there's no documentation on that. And she never spoke of that in her letters to Anna Mae. Um, I mean, obviously she left her, the, the Van Gilder home there in uh, Fairmont. Um, there, they had Mary Jane and her husband were having some marital issues and she had actually left um, in in '44 and moved into the city of Fairmont, '43, uh, '44, and and worked in the city of Fairmont um, for a couple months, maybe to a year, and then moved moved up here uh, to Ohio. So she had left um, after she was up here in Ohio. She she did file uh, for divorce um, from her husband James. Um, and basically the divorce decree, which I do have, um, cites, um, neglect and, and abuse on, on his part. Um, but it's uh, another angle I have to consider besides, you know, the, the foul play is that, um, 
you know, if Mary Jane, if Mary Jane did leave on her own accord, um, maybe she met foul play a little farther down the road. Maybe she lived for a period of years somewhere else, um, and then met foul play, or she lived somewhere else and died of natural causes, or she had an accident. Um, you know, I have to consider the fact that maybe she met with foul play in or around 45, or that she lived for a while and then met with foul play, or she didn't meet with foul play at all, that she, you know, kind of went off the grid on purpose and maybe started a life somewhere else. So I, I definitely consider all angles, and foul play has not been ruled out. So you, you've really got a, your job cut out for you trying to connect dots and, and find little puzzle pieces to, to figure out what happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, if, you know, if you, if you go into, and this is for any investigation, if you go into an investigation and you say you have a preconceived notion or a mindset that this is what happened and you exclude other possibilities, then you find evidence to support your theory. So if I only believe that Mary Jane um, did, you know, ran away or, you know, just left on her own accord, and I never considered the possibility that she met with foul play, I'm going to find evidence to support that. Um, but if I just say, hey, she was she was murdered, there's no possible way that she would, you know, stop communicating with her kids. Um, then I, again, I'm I'm only looking at part of the puzzle. I have to put the whole puzzle together and let the, uh, you know, the evidence kind of lead me down the path of what actually happened. Are, are missing persons cases, are they like homicide cases that they, they stay open until they're solved? Uh, what's, what's, how does that work? Well, I mean, t- technically they should, um, each, that's going to vary based on jurisdiction. Um, some jurisdictions will close out a case you know, they will work it until that there's no more leads, there's no possible, um, in their minds, no possible resolution, and they'll close it out. Some will keep it open and then close it out based on age. Um, they just say, you know, based on the age, this, this person's obviously uh, deceased, and, you know, basically we're not, we're not going to work it because of that. Um, other cases, other departments will just keep it, keep it open and uh, work, work, um, the case as a tip comes in or as time allows. And and you mentioned having to reach out to the public to ask for help and stuff like this. If there's anyone listening uh, out there that somehow knows something or knew her or had maybe had family that knew her in that area, um, what kind of things are you asking for? What, what kind of things can people reach out to you uh, to try and help you with this? Well, um, for more like detailed information on on the case, um, if you just if your listeners would would just search Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder, um, they are going to see several uh, local articles that have been written about my case. Um, there, if if you can't find everything, type uh, Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder, Shelby, Ohio, or Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder, and then put my name, Adam Turner, in there. Um, and then people will be able to see, you know, a picture of me and pictures of, of Mary Jane and kind of what, what work I have done um, so far. Um, as far as what the, what the public uh, can, can do to help, I mean, obviously, you know, this, this case, um, you know, Mary Jane will be 108 by now. So, she, you know, she's, she's obviously deceased, but uh, it is important um, to me and to her family 
um, to know uh, her final uh, resting place. Um, so what the public can do is is to search or look for potential unidentified remains um, throughout the country um, that match Mary Jane's uh, physical characteristics or that match the timeline of when she disappeared. And I do this, I do this on a daily basis that I search. Um, there are websites designated for the missing and the unidentified. And, you know, I basically look, uh, there's, there's not any years that I exclude. I mean, like I said, it is possible that she moved to a different state and lived her life elsewhere and then met with, uh, and then met her death and, and remains an unidentified um, body to this day. So, I mean, cases into the, the 80s or even the 90s, I, I wouldn't rule out completely. Um, but I know there, as far as like civilian sleuths and stuff like that, um, there are people that go around to their local cemeteries and they will take pictures of gravestones and they will upload them to a website called Find a Grave. And that that is very helpful because I can type in a name and it'll list, you know, all the Mary Jane Cross that have been uploaded to this site or all the Mary Jane Van Gilders um, that have been uploaded. But, you know, the problem is not every cemetery is on there and, um, you know, the records are, are incomplete. So if someone out there enjoys doing that, you know, I would, I would uh, welcome them to to continue um, doing that kind of uh, activity. Definitely helps you out. Yeah, it does, because the uh, the, the website, uh, Find a Grave, um, I, I actually found this. Uh, I was just kind of searching around one day, and I, I was searching for some Jane Doe's, um, and there's a, there's a bunch of Jane Doe's listed. And then, but most of them, are, are known and entered into the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, um, otherwise known as NamUs. Uh, most of those have been entered into NamUs. But when I, when I changed the criteria a little bit onto exactly what I searched for, if I searched for unknown first name, unknown last name, then I would get, I, I would get you know, a, a lot of results, especially when I... Um, kind of narrowed my focus down to um, bodies found after 1945 because we know she was alive up until um, February of 1945 because that's when she filed for her divorce from her husband. Um, so what I did is when I, when I was searching these parameters, I had found an, a news article uh, from um, the late 60s um, from uh, Preble County, Ohio, and the I, after reading the article, I reached out to the coroner's office in Preble County, and uh, we we ch exchanged files. And um, through the help of uh, the coroner's office there, um, the coroner and the coroner's investigator, um, Dave Linloff, we were able to uh, exhume a body in uh, August of last year um, for the purpose of DNA testing against uh, Mary Jane. And those those results are still pending. So it's really like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, there are, if, if your listeners do go to NamUs, it is, it is a website that's accessible to uh, the general public, and, and they can search, you know, they can search uh, gender, um, race, um, age, 
height, weight, um, etc. And so, the obviously the more narrow your search criteria, um, the fewer results that you get. So if you search, uh, say, you search a white female um, with brown hair and brown eyes um, after 1945, you're not going to get as many results as if you leave out the brown hair and brown eyes and just put white female. Or if you put, there's a box on there called uh, that says unknown, um, or if you check that box. So um, people can search through the NamUs system um, that way as well. And if someone thinks that they do have information or might have found her in some way, how can they reach out to you and contact you to, to relay that information to you? Um, several ways, but the phone number to the, uh, the police department here is uh, 419-347-2242. Um, they can call anytime and ask for me. They can also email me, and my email is my first name, Adam, A-D-A-M, dot Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R, at Shelby, S-H-E-L-B-Y, P-D, dot org. And I also have a missing persons uh, Facebook group dedicated to uh, Mary Jane. Um, it's all capital letters, missing, um, and then it says Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder. And there are multiple uh, members of Mary Jane's family are in the group, and um, I try to update the group uh, as much as possible as far as what I'm doing um, or results that I've I've gotten, and it's it's a good way to kind of get get information out there. So as of as of last as of last week, um, Anna May had uh, received a picture from. Uh, one of her sisters um, that we had not seen before of Mary Jane. So th th this picture that uh, Anna May's sister had was passed down to her from Mary Jane's sister. So it kind of passed down um, through the years, and it just kind of been unnoticed. So, you know, that once I got that picture, you know, that was the first place that I put it was on Facebook so people could see um, another picture of Mary Jane and that her family could kind of see another picture of her. And so that picture could be, then be disseminated to the public in the hopes of maybe jarring a memory somewhere of somebody that maybe looked like her. I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, somebody will call or give information, information that said, Hey, she, um, she resembles um, a neighbor or she resembles somebody that was friends with uh, my grandmother or, you know, something along those lines. I'm hopeful that the more public awareness of this case that I have, uh, the more likelihood of those tips um, will, will come in. Well, we'll definitely do our part to help put the word out there and, and hopefully someone comes forward if they have information to, to make your, your job a little bit easier if they can. But yeah, in the meantime, I can't thank you enough for coming on to discuss uh, your work in this uh, old and, and fascinating case, and I hope you get some luck along the way. Well, thank you, and I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to present this case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Missing Persons. If you can provide any information to help solve the case we discussed in this episode, we hope that you'll contact the appropriate authorities. We hope that you'll tell your friends about Missing Persons and invite them to listen to the show. Word of mouth will really help us grow. And if you'd like to help us reach new listeners, 
Please be sure to rate and review Missing Persons on the platform you're listening to us now on. We'd like to tell you a little bit about our Patreon program. If you visit patreon.com backslash missing podcast, you can sign up to help this podcast through ongoing monthly support. As a thank you, we'll give you an on-air shout out, a thank you card and sticker, plus you'll get ad-free early access to every new episode of Missing Persons, as well as any bonus content. In this episode, we'd like to thank Michelle Kaz. And thanks to all of our patrons for their support. Your Patreon support also goes directly towards helping the missing, because every dollar that we earn through Patreon will be split with two worthwhile causes that benefit the efforts to bring missing people home, charlieproject.org and private investigations for the missing. Your Patreon support will really go a long way towards helping. We hope you'll consider supporting the show. Just a reminder, new episodes of Missing Persons drop every other Saturday. If you want to find us on social media, you can search Facebook for Missing Persons Podcast. We're also on Twitter with the handle at missing underscore pod. And of course, you can always find us on our website, missingpersonspodcast.net. On behalf of Jess Betancourt, this is Mike Morford saying thanks, and we'll see you next time on Missing Persons. Missing Persons is produced under the name Abjack Entertainment by Mike Morford and Jessica Betancourt. It's hosted by Mike Morford and Jessica Betancourt, with writing and research by Jessica Betancourt and editing by Mike Morford. Be sure to listen every other Saturday for an all-new episode of Missing Persons.